0: Welcome to Women Crush Wednesday's podcast, presented by NYWIFT, New York Women in Film and Television. We connect with women working above and below the line within the moving image industry to talk about the latest news and entertainment, exciting new film and television projects, and upcoming NYWIFT events. Here are your hosts, Janine McGoldrick and Leah Kearney.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women Crush Wednesdays podcast from NYWIFT. I'm Leah, and I'm here with my co-host, Janine. Howdy, everybody. Happy to be here with you. We have an inspiration-packed interview to bring you just in time for the holidays. First, it's been a pretty newsworthy couple of weeks, so we thought we'd just start out with a couple of the big
0: headlines that we've come across. That everybody in the industry is talking about is Warner Brothers. Last week, we mentioned that they were making the next Wonder Woman film available day and date uh, in theaters and on HBO Max. In between that episode and this episode, they came out and said that, In 2021, their entire 17-picture slate is going to be day and date in theaters on HBO Max. I think consumers were probably very excited about that. I can subscribe to HBO Max and get that content along with these wonderful theatrical titles. For Warner Brothers, it also makes sense because it's drawing consumers to the streaming service, which just launched last year, and has only gotten approximately 8 million new subscribers. But what's
1: different about Wonder Woman is they sat down with the creative team and they negotiated a pretty uh, sizable compensation package, and both parties walked away feeling like it was a mutually agreed upon arrangement. The DGA and all of the other creatives felt like the rug was completely pulled out from under them. And most of them, I think, heard about it when it hit the
0: press. Right. Which is really strange because Warner Brothers is known as being a very talent-friendly studio. For them not to let anybody know beforehand obviously ruffled a lot of feathers. A lot of people are worried that this is going to hurt profit participants. And others who have worked on films, the move might affect their residual payments because they're expecting it to go into theaters and to have that revenue come in. And if people are watching it on HBO Max, that revenue isn't necessarily there. Another question to ask is, is this going to continue to train moviegoers to stay at home even when theaters fully open? So
1: I guess we'll just see how that unfolds. I think the the DGA red is lobbying for negotiations to encourage them to step back. Look talk at the about picture. it, <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. So hopefully so. they'll be able to make some headway there. Transitioning over to something, a couple of things that I found inspiring and hopeful, uh, which you know seems timely as we're approaching this very strange, unique holiday season. An article about at least one show. A police procedural that is rethinking how they produce and write the show. It's The Rookie. I think it's going into its third season or it's releasing its third season this January, produced and show run by Terrence Paul Winter, uh, who also has written many other police procedurals mm-hmm. in the past, like castle. And they are partnering with an organization called Color of Change, uh, is becoming more and more involved in the entertainment industry in an effort to help move away from these unhelpful narratives about police and crime that audiences see on camera that that so often perpetuate uh, systems of prejudice. So I found that really helpful. Sadly, not I think not enough shows are taking advantage of the resources and the information that organizations like Color of Change have to offer. Apparently, in January, they unveiled like a, a one hundred and fifty three page report on crime in scripted TV called Normalizing Injustice. And it's it's all about how um, the medium glamorizes law enforcement and how it often
0: isn't held to the same rules as the, the people they police. And exactly, and it's wonderful that they took the time to put this initiative together. And maybe the fact that this television show is now not only doing it, but being publicly open about what they're doing with this information, that might spur the change from other people. There's no way to be apolitical anymore about right.
1: this. You know, it's just, you, you can't kind of, there's no business as usual. Like we, it's, we've reached thankfully a point where it feels like we have to address this. And if you continue to just crank out the same police procedurals we've seen for years and years, it's,
0: you're either subverting the status quo or you're promoting it. And Okay, I'll get off my soapbox now. What were you gonna say? Yeah, I just wanted to refer back to a recommendation that was made on one of our episodes back in the summer the today explained podcast from vox their june 12th episode was called propaganda and it was all about this that narrative needs to start to shift so i'm glad to see that now a couple months later we can talk about how someone is actually working to make that shift
1: yeah yeah cuz you know it really does have hopping back on my soapbox for just 2 seconds <laughs> it
0: it does have real
1: life impact i i, yes. I read a um a, a fun book by um a a crime writer who's a former FBI agent in Philadelphia. And she writes about the the myths that have been perpetuated about the FBI and what she calls the the CSI effect, which is that often juries now Mm -hmm. expect evidence, A, expect there to always be DNA evidence, and B, expect it to like, you know, turn around in
0: 24 hours because that's what we're so used to seeing. Right. Can't you procedural. just type something into a computer and then this wonderful graphic pops up on this yeah. beautiful, you know, translucent board and says, oh, he did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it, it, it really does have real life impact. And,
1: and I, I just, I appreciate that this show is really committing to, to make real change. I'll be tuning in in January. I'm curious to see what storylines they tell
0: and hopefully others will follow as well. And one other quick thing we wanted to talk about was another wonderful step forward for women working in the industry, Uh, Patty Jenkins, who we all know and love from Wonder Woman. She is actually going to be helming, be the first woman ever to helm a Star Wars film. as a fan of hers, a fan of Star Wars, which was the very first film that I ever saw when I was a little itty bitty kid, I am so excited about this.
1: Oh, me too. Thrilled. We'll include it in the show notes. There's a really great little teaser that they released, where she talks about how her father was a fighter pilot. She's always wanted to find a story about fighter pilots, and there just hasn't been one. and And now she's she'll be directing a, a film called Rogue Squadron about a series of pilots in the the vast Star Wars universe. It's not till 2023, but I'm really excited about that. And and I just wanted to shout out the fact that there have been, you know, other key female players in the Star Wars universe, besides, of course, Kathleen Kennedy. Right. Victoria Mahoney served as a second unit director on The Rise of Skywalker. Deborah Chow directed an episode of The Mandalorian uh, in the f- in the first season, and now she's going to be running the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi series on Disney+. Plus. And then Bryce Dallas Howard uh, has also directed a, c- a couple of episodes for The Mandalorian as well. So, slowly but surely... Women are breaking into these big tentpole franchises.
0: And yes, uh, and that uh, leads us to celebrating some more women, women yeah. in our universe and <laughs> our Nine <Ny-Wish> universe. <laughs> so, who do we have in our spotlight? Yeah, this week's Women Crush Wednesday spotlight is Stephanie Fall
1: Keys. And January Green from our podcast team is going to tell us why she's crushing it. <laughs>
2: Season's greetings, NYWIF family. Guess who's been selected to the prestigious BAFTA Newcomers Program? Our very own member, Stephanie Falkies, who's an Austrian director, writer, and producer based in New York City. Let me tell you a little bit more about Stephanie. In 2017, she became the first woman from Austria to be awarded the prestigious Fulbright Fellowship for film directing to pursue her MFA at Columbia University. Before deciding to focus her full attention on making films, she co-founded and produced the AASFF Austrian-American Short Film Festival for three years, a festival which aimed at connecting emerging filmmakers from both Austria and the United States. She was also selected for the 2020 La Famille Co-Production Atelier in Paris, and fun fact, Her short films have screened internationally in cinemas, galleries, and festivals in Austria, Germany, England, Greece, and the United States. Oh, and one more thing. She's recently been commissioned to write a historical, limited series about a female scientist. Wow. Well done, Stephanie. Your NYWIFT family applauds your tremendous accomplishments.
0: Wow, such amazing accomplishments. Congratulations, Stephanie. So this week, we are not going to be featuring your stories, which is usually our mid-month episode, because we want to focus on the NYWIFT Muse Awards, which are actually happening tomorrow on December 17th. For 40 years, NYWIFT has presented the Muse Awards annual gala holiday luncheon, which celebrates women of vision and achievement. And it's usually NYWIFT's flagship fundraising event. So this year, we're going to be gathering virtually and celebrating art and advocacy. Tickets are pay what you can, and they're still available on nywif.org. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday, December 16th, you still have time to get your tickets.
1: Yeah, I just got mine. I'm so excited for this event. Incredible honorees. Aquafina, Rachel Brosnahan, Rashida Jones, just to name a few. And we are thrilled today to be bringing you an interview with one of those amazing muses. Uh, Without further ado, here is NYWIFT Community Engagement Director Katie Chambers speaking with Muse honoree, actress Allie Stroker.
3: Ali Stroker won the 2019 Tony Award for Best Featured Actress in a Musical for her role as Ado Annie in the recent revival of Rodgers and Hammerstein's Oklahoma. She was most recently seen just this month in the Lifetime holiday film Christmas Ever After, starring as a popular romance novelist facing an impending deadline and a very bad case of writer's block. Ali made history as the first actor in a wheelchair to appear on Broadway in Deaf West's acclaimed 2015 revival of Spring Awakening. She starred in 12 episodes of The Glee Project, winning a guest role on Fox's Glee. She recurred in the ABC series 10 Days in the Valley and guest starred on Freeform's The Bold Type, Fox's Lethal Weapon, CBS's Instinct, The CW's Charmed, and Comedy Central's Drunk History. Allie has performed her cabaret act at Green Room 42 and soloed at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., New York's Town Hall, Lincoln Center for the Performing Arts, and Carnegie Hall. Her mission, to improve the lives of others through the arts, disabled or not, is captured in her motto, turning your limitations into your opportunities. We could not be more proud to present Allie with the Lorene Arbus Changemaker Award at the NYWIFT Muse Awards on December 17th, 2020. And now, my interview with Allie Stroker. Thank you for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. Of course, of course. No problem. We are... So excited to honor you at Muse. Tell us, what does being a Muse mean to you? Well, it's an
4: honor to be even called a Muse. I am really, really excited about this event. And mostly because, in my opinion, it's it's one thing to be an individual Muse, but it's another thing to be called as a group, you know, that we're all muses and I'm really interested in, in community right now. And so the fact that you're doing this and honoring, honoring all of us is, is really, really special.
3: That's great. yeah, especially right now, I feel, feel like community is so important when people are feeling so isolated. it's a really great way to at least try try to remind ourselves of the community that we've always been a part of and that community is still going to be there when all this is done. You're getting the Lorene Arbus Changemaker award and I know sneak preview of your remarks next week you you've known Lorene Arbus for a while. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship with her? I mean she's a, been a phenomenal advocate for so many underserved communities, including the disabled community.
4: Lauren is a goddess. She is so so amazing. And she took me right under her wing after I got out of college and uh invited me to the Women Who Care luncheon which um supported the United Cerebral Palsy of New York City. And then she asked me to be the co-chair and she just has always been there for me. And before, you know, getting any awards or becoming co-chair, she just wanted me around these women and around people who she knew were going to be a huge support system to me. So before I even realized what she was doing, she was helping me. And she's such a champion for, like you said earlier, um, underserved communities and specifically the disabled community. Her sister had a disability. And so it's something that means a lot to her. And I, I really connect with her on that. And I just am so grateful she's in my life.
3: She's a a legend and absolutely amazing person. We're so excited to have her as a part of our event for so many years. Um, Now, you've had such a diverse career in a relatively short period of time. Can you talk a little bit about what you look for when you're reading scripts and selecting roles? What really speaks to you as an artist?
4: First of all, being an actress with a disability, sometimes you are handed scripts that specifically are stories about disability. And those are really important to um, our community and to the world. But I really believe that there is a lot more progress when we can tell stories and narratives about people. And I personally like to play characters that are not just disabled specific. Uh, I think that I identify and relate more to stories about women who want things and whether they have a disability or not is not necessarily the conflict or that person's main narrative. So I I feel strongly about that. And then I just look for projects and things that are going to bring joy and positivity to the world, Uh, especially right now. I think that we need that. And I was saying last night to my fiance how much I miss, you know, live music and how I think the world needs live performance and live music so much right now. And I, you know, music has always just been a huge part of my life.
3: How do you respond when you get one of those scripts that is very reductive or offensive? Do you, do you feel pressure to try to educate other people from your position or do you just say no thank you and call it a day?
4: I'm never personally offended because I know that that is the way that people are trying to make progress. And so usually I offer to have a conversation with the writer if they're open to it, just a little bit about – as a woman who lives with a disability, who is in this industry with a disability and is an actress with a disability, how, how I, I just think as far as authenticity goes, not every person with a disability, their conflict of their life is not their disability. So I, I always offer to have a conversation, but I do think that sometimes I just say, no, thank you. It's not something I'm interested in. And keep moving forward as an advocate and an activist and an artist, it's important to sometimes know which hat I'm wearing. And as an artist and as an actress, once I'm in the room creating my work, I can't always be an activist because then I'm taken out of the work. So I try to sort of take care of that beforehand. uh, If there needs, if adjustments need to be made, if I offer, you know, some of my own perspective or feedback, I always offer a solution as well. I think that when you're collaborating with people and you, um, you sort of have an issue with something, I think it's important to also offer a solution if you're going to to bring that to the table.
3: Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, tell us about your Lifetime Christmas movie, talking about needing positive and cheerful things in our lives right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's Christmas Ever After. It just came out, right? And Christmas movies are like their own separate culture. I feel like at this point there are people (laughs) that are very, very into them. Were you a Christmas movie person before this, a rom-com person? Was this all new to you?
4: Yes, I love Christmas movies and I love rom-coms. So this was like a perfect project uh, for me. And I was so, so excited to make this movie this past summer to get the opportunity to work under these very sort of different circumstances. And when it was released on Sunday, I just got such an outpouring of support and love and people telling me how much they needed this, this Christmas and this holiday season. And that's part of why I did it. I knew when it would be coming out. And I had a feeling that we were all going to need a little positivity and a little cheer in a different kind of way this year. You know, we're not gathering, you know, having Christmas parties or events or, um, I, I just thought, Oh, this is, this is so perfect because people can just watch it safely in their homes and uh, I was really proud of the work and also really excited about the representation because I heard from so many uh, women in wheelchairs how much it meant to them to have this love story and this narrative and have it not be about the disability and the description of the movie has, doesn't even mention the disability and that to me it's is happening. progress right and that is where I want to to go. I want to make a rom-com and it not be about the fact that I'm in a chair. And I just know how important those narratives are because as a young girl, I didn't have any of that representation. And so when I came to certain parts of my life, like when I would start dating or going after work and a job, I just didn't see anybody ahead of me that was doing that. And so there was this sort of this extra layer of nervousness about like, is this possible for me? Like, can I have love? Can I have this romantic story in my own life? And so I hope that it's a light, sweet Christmas movie, but I do think that it also does other things. And especially for people with disabilities seeing themselves represented and i specifically asked if we could include like me driving in the movie and getting in and out of the in in and out of bed or pushing around town all of those things are so powerful for people to see and what i love is that it doesn't need to be explained and i think we need to move past that so oftentimes people are so curious about disability but They let that curiosity get the best of them. And sometimes just observing and being in the world with other people with disabilities is enough. You know, I don't think we always need to explain ourselves. And that is, again, what we have the power to do with storytelling that we don't need to answer everyone's questions about why this character is in a wheelchair or why they do certain things. Just let them be, let them have their own narrative where their world becomes the main world that we're in and that is really really exciting to me Mm -hmm. it's fantastic
3: and you filmed it in the summer I didn't I didn't realize that so it's during COVID I've seen I've doing my research I've seen pictures of you in the masks I've seen the picture of you filming the big romantic kissing scene with plexiglass can you talk about this process this is wild wild to me yes I was offered this movie in
4: July and we were starting, we were going to start shooting, um, mid August. And so I had to drive to Canada with very special paperwork to get through the border. And then I quarantined for 14 days, um, in an apartment in Montreal. And then we started shooting and we were tested every three days. We wore masks and shields before the very last second, um, before we shot. And then, um, And then, you know, it was it was uh, Quebec's law that we weren't allowed to kiss. So the producers and the director had to get creative and they put this plexiglass in, you know, between us and we had to kiss the plexiglass. And then in special effects, they took it out and, you know, fixed our smushed noses Mm -hmm. and it worked. I think it really worked. Yeah, you can't uh, tell. (laughs) It was really exciting and nerve-wracking, but also when you have an obstacle in front of you and you're around a bunch of creative people, problems get solved. And that's what we did through that entire
3: process.
4: I I just had such a great time and I was so grateful for the opportunity because I hadn't worked in like six months. Mm
3: -hmm. It sounds like a lot of fun and just such a commitment to your art in such a new way that nobody ever saw coming. Truly. How how are you staying sane and and staying creative during COVID and quarantining? Have you had any new pandemic hobbies, or, or, what, what do you have to do? Well, I feel really fortunate
4: that I've done a lot of virtual work while um, this has been going on. I've taught master classes and um, voice lessons and done concerts and trivia nights and uh, readings of plays. And, you know, I've made it my business to stay busy because I know that I have a lot to give to the world. And we are right now in a time that can feel so isolating and we can feel like we're so out of control. But I, I also believe that there are, again, like when there's a problem, there are solutions and it might not be my favorite way to do a concert, but I shot this concert in a studio and then it was aired this past weekend. And, you know, there, there are ways to continue to stay busy. I have done a lot of cooking and a lot of Zooming and FaceTimes, <laughs> And uh, recording, I recorded an audio book. Actually, I finished and did a second audiobook during this time. I like bought recording equipment and was like, let's do this. And was on Zoom with the, the engineer and the director and then recorded an audio book. So there have been many opportunities and I feel so, so lucky and grateful to have had those right now.
3: Finally, what is one piece of advice that you would give to a young person who's hoping to break into entertainment but fears that their disability might limit them in some way?
4: So, number one, I live by this motto of turning your limitations into your opportunities. Your disability can be one of your greatest strengths as an artist and an, and as an actor first of all it will always set you apart and you can use your disability in your work your physical vocabulary if you have a physical disability is is such a gift you know you have your own physical language and to share that with the world is so special and then the other piece of it is that you really really are going to work harder than you ever thought you could work and you will be exhausted. <laughs> but the reward is so great and it's so much bigger than what you are getting. It's it's this feeling of realizing that you have something to give the world. And if you can go into every single project and try to start your day every day with instead of what am I getting, what am I going to give today? You put yourself in a position of being so powerful. And the last piece would be to not give up. There's going to be a lot of rejection and a lot of moments when you feel like, is this even for me? Is there a place for me? And the answer is yes, but you must create it yourself. Do not wait for other people to hand you things and give you answers. You are your greatest advocate and you are your, your greatest cheerleader. So if you can decide that you are here for a reason and that you want to give your gifts through this industry, get on that train and don't get off. I mean, of course, give yourself breaks and and set boundaries and rest when you need to, but, you know, set out to to achieve your mission. And it's never over. That's the other thing. Like, I feel so, so, so lucky to have had the opportunities that I, um, have been given, but also have sought out. And then, you know, to win a Tony award is, is been so, so it's changed my life and it's been such a gift, but it's not over, you know? You never reach the top, ever. Once you are at one place in your career, then you shift to, to figure out what you're going to do next. There sometimes people who are at the beginning of being an artist think like, oh, there's one destination. And there's not. There's so many paths. And there's so many ways to give. And I just can't stress that enough, that if you are in a mindset of what you can give, you you're setting yourself up for more success and more and more um, not like success in the way that we we sort of coin as college fresh freshmen of i want to be successful one day no mm-hmm. success meaning like fulfillment and gratitude and relationships the people that i have worked with over the past 10 15 years i i count them as just like this incredible team of people that have believed in me and I've believed in them. And, you know, and a huge part of this is, is about mindset and sort of your attitude and your, I don't even want to use the word brand because Mm -hmm. it's not quite right, but, but your, you know, I always say it's like, it's like hosting your own party. So, like, if you come into a room, like, what party are you hosting? Do you make people feel good when you're around them? Do you validate their ideas and and explore and create with them? Or are you coming in wondering how much you're going to get paid and, and who's who's the most important person in the room and what are you going to get from that i'm telling you that is a recipe for disappointment truly <laughs> really. yes and and so and so again what can i give today how can i connect with with people with my community um and, and and that you're never done. You're never done growing. You're never done um, connecting with people and, and helping other people. So that has been my mission. And I hope that I am learning how to articulate this because we are our work, but we also are how we can articulate ourselves as artists. That's something that I am still really working on. and And again, like, Never done. Never done. Never finished. Never, never done. Growing.
3: Well, o- outsider looking in, you, cer- you certainly just articulated it to us. And thank you so much again for taking the time to speak to us. And we are so, so honored to honor you. It's just been such an inspiration getting to hear you and and get to know your career a little bit more. So thank you again. Congratulations thank on you, your award. Thank board. you Happy so holiday. much. Thanks for all that you're doing as well.
0: Well, I know, Leah, you always say how inspired you are by the people that we talk to and the content <laughs> do. that we watch. I'm easily inspired. And after listening to that interview, how could you not be more inspired by yeah. Allie, the work that she's doing, the way that she approaches her work, the way she decides what she wants to do, how she's trying to advocate for herself and for other people with disabilities. There's no words besides inspiring that I can think yeah. of.
1: Yeah, I agree. I love what she said about being of service or, or, you know, looking at what you have to give, not what you have to get and how much more satisfying and rewarding and successful that is. I just really appreciate everything she had to say and really appreciate her taking the time to, to uh, sit down with Katie and be a part of our podcast. So thank you, Allie.
0: And this is a great tease as to what we're going to be seeing at the Muse Awards on December 17th. So be sure, again, if you haven't gotten your tickets, go on NYWIFT.org right now. And not only do you get to see this great, fun virtual awards that we're putting together, but you get to also support the work that NYWIFT does for everyone in our community, which is wonderful. You're here. Okay, so moving on really quickly, we want to give some recommendations. I wanna start and talk about something that I am just loving. Back in 2015, I went to see a show on Broadway called The Play That Goes Wrong, about a drama company that puts on a murder mystery play. And as the title warns, everything goes wrong in amazingly comedic fashion. Sets start to fall down, props are missing, actors don't make their cues, forget their lines. It was just hysterical and I loved it so much. I even went to see it two more times. Well, I just learned that the same group that created that play developed a short series with the same premise called The Goes Wrong Show, which is currently airing on Amazon. It's six 30-minute episodes, each with a different theme. And it is so clever in coming up with new ways where things can go wrong. You think the premise after a while, oh, how many times can you see things fall off of a set? or A lot. Yeah. The answer um, is a lot. The answer is a <laughs> lot. And maybe that, you know, isn't as funny when you've seen it a hundred times, but for example, one of the episodes is called "90 Degrees." Now, I know, Leah, you saw the first episode. I did, and it and was also hilarious. really enjoyed it. Yes, I did. So you kind of have an idea of what. So I'm going to mention this, and it doesn't really spoil anything for you. The episode is called "90 Degrees," and the as is the play, and it's in reference to the heat of the American South. It's kind of a take on like a Tennessee Williams play. Oh dear. But the set designers thought that the the name of the play was actually directions for how to build the stage. And sections of the stage are actually built on a 90 degree angle. Oh no. So the actors are actually forced to perform on a 90 degree set. So you can imagine what it might be like to be acting or even just trying to walk on a 90 degree (laughs) set. It's just ridiculous, but funny in the same respect. And I'm not a person who laughs out loud. I find things funny and I smile and I slightly chuckle. My friends always kind of think like, Janine, you didn't think that was funny. And I'm like, yes, I did. But I just, I'm not someone who actually does the ha ha ha. But I repeatedly laughed out loud watching this. <laughs> so I, yeah, I hope that everybody checks it out and you enjoyed it too. I did.
1: I'm looking forward to the rest of the, I didn't get to see the play on Broadway, but I, I'm looking forward to
0: uh, catching up on the rest of the show. So what else are you looking forward to catching up on?
1: Well, yeah. So I don't have a recommendation because it's, it's been a busy kind of year end time for me. I work as a video producer and we've just had a, a lot of uh, crunch as we, as we careen toward the end of 2020. So I'm a little behind on my my content, but I have to say I love a good holiday movie. And there's two that I'm looking forward to. So I thought I'd just shout those out. One is called Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey on Netflix. Looks like a really heartwarming, lovely holiday film with a lot of wonderful people, Felicia Rashad, Forrest Whitaker, Keegan-Michael Key. And then also Happiest Season on Hulu, mm. which uh, looks like a kind of dysfunctional family Christmas type story with uh, Victor Garber, Kristen Stewart, a um, bunch of great people in that as well. Allison Brie. It's in addition to the, the movie that Ali is in.
0: I want to certainly want to check that out as well. Yes, me um, too. All right. This is our last podcast episode of this year. We're going to be taking a break until mid-January, but we will still be collecting your submissions for your stories. So email us about one of your exciting, funny, heartwarming experiences working in the film and television industry. Send it to communications at nywift.org. Audio files should be about five minutes and written submissions, which we will narrate about two pages. Names and project titles can be kept anonymous.
1: And we'll also be launching a new segment starting in January called My First Time. So we invite you to submit a tip or a piece of advice that you learned while doing something new in the industry for the first time. Wherever you are in your career, we are certainly always encountering new firsts. So send us your submissions. We look forward forward to sharing them.
0: Thanks so much for being with us through this grueling year. And we wish you, as always, a happy, healthy holiday season.
1: Until we meet again next year in 2021,
0: keep on crushing it. Thank you so much for listening. Don't miss any Women Crush Wednesdays episode Subscribe today and share with your friends and colleagues. For more information on all the great programming and services from New York Women in Film and Television, go to nywift.org. That's N-Y-W-I-F-T dot Follow us on social media with the NYWIFT acronym and contact us at communications at nywift.org with any feedback, topic recommendations, or interview suggestions